Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash talk. That's supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kicked. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, joined by the president and CEO of Brown Golf Management and golf back, John Brown. John, fresh off your venture to the PGA show, how was it? What was the atmosphere like? It was different this year, absolutely different. There was probably about half the number of vendors at the PGA show. As most know, uh, most of the major club companies were not there, so Titleist, TaylorMade, pretty much all of them except Cleveland was there. It sounds like you should go out and co-mingle amongst your newly found brethren. You know, absorb the culture. Cleveland! This is for you! So the demo day on Tuesday, I heard, was pretty much a dud. It kind of rained, and and the show floor was, was much smaller than what you would typically see. So, you know, the questions being asked right now is what's going to happen in the future with the show, and I think there's a big possibility that it, it really changes, maybe it becomes a regional show, or, you know, if we don't bounce back next year, I think it'll be a little different. However, for me, it was a great show. Uh, a lot of great networking, a lot of great meetings. The Golf Business Conference, which is run by the NGCOA, was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then the PGA shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I had the opportunity to speak at the Golf Business Conference on that Wednesday, which was actually a joint opportunity for PGA members to come and have some educational credits as well. And there was about, I don't know, about 200 in my segment and really good conversation about technology in the future and, and how you can really drive profits using technology. And overall, I had a great week. Probably the highlight was I got to sit in a luncheon where Annika Sorenstam was given an award by the NGCOA and uh, really spoke about her career and background, and uh, it was great to listen to her. What do you think would be the reason that some of the bigger names maybe dropped off this year? I mean, everybody's pointing towards COVID, but you know the, those shows are extremely costly, and I think the way we buy in this industry has changed over the years. I think the show used to really be a showcase that would get people excited and drive sales. The way the internet is and marketing, you know, I don't necessarily think it's the driver that it used to be. And I think it's there's a lot of cost analysis going on and COVID's given companies the opportunity to do that cost analysis. Any chance or possibility that that show goes to a virtual trade show? Let's hope not. I hate virtual trade shows. <laughs> Well, I think there's some hankering. People want to get back to interaction, face-to-face, communications, and things of that nature. But, I mean, the results of this year's show wouldn't prove that, but that's what everybody talks about. Well, they, the folks that were there and the networking that was done was great. There was a lot of value for me in the meetings that I had. People do have a bit of a hunger for that continued connection. It's easier to do business with somebody you've met, spent time with, seen in the physical, and really, you know, been able to analyze, you know, their tones, their expressions, and, and more than just seeing someone on a video conference. It may change to more of a regional show as opposed to a national show and just be a little smaller. All right. Well, John, the number one biggest want and need in human nature is acceptance, that sense of belonging, that sense of communication. And the number one biggest fear in human nature is rejection. 
We all long for a sense of harmony, belonging, community. You're not one of those beatniks, are you? You heard me, hippie. And today, we're going to discuss seven ways to grow your golf community. We are. It's one of the areas of focus for Brown Golf and one of the areas that is obviously a focus for Golf Back. And it's really why we built Golf Back. It was for one reason, to build your golf community, to build your golf network, to be able to communicate with your golf customer. But to do that, you know, there's, there's several things you need to do to be effective. But the goal is... You know, who's standing in front of my counter, who's interacting with my staff, who's playing my golf course, and how do I get them coming back for more golf? Well, tee us off here. You know, these are seven tips that a golf course owner or operator uh, can install in their operation tomorrow, whether they're using tech like Golfback or other tech solutions in the marketplace that can really help drive and build your golf community. If you think about it, if you have a database of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 10,000 golfers, what can we all use? An even larger database, right? And more information about our customers. So this can really help any level of operation succeed in building out their golf community. And I like the word community because really that's what it is. You want to build out that community of customers that interact with your products, that know who you are, that are likely to return if they have a great experience. You need to know who that group is. And so we need to build our golf community. So seven steps to building your golf community. I'll go ahead and start. Number one is you need to build a culture of driving online tee times. That's number one. The reason being that's the easiest spot to collect data through automation, which I talk about a little bit later, but just accepting tee times with walk-ins and call-ins alleviates a major component in being able to collect that customer's data, understand that customer's wants and desires. And so number one, you need to build a culture of driving customers' tee times online. So it's an interesting dynamic that you would say the first way we're going to build community personal interaction is go to our website. But the reason you're saying that to delve deeper is so you can learn more about them, retain the information, and then ultimately reciprocate with that knowledge and the personal interaction. You're absolutely right. It is a little bit of a unique way to approach it with driving folks to your website initially, but we need to know who they are. We need to know when they play. We need to know who they play with. We need to understand how they're interacting with our courses. And the only way to do that is to collect their data through an automated portal and your website is your best place. Can you achieve that same result if you have a really good person at your front desk or point of sale system that really gets to know the customer or the member and really speaks to them, communicates with them, learns about them? Or do you find that when people actually get on site, they just want to go start playing? What happens if all your tea times, you build a culture of your tea times are mostly booked online? What happens in your shop immediately? What happens to the phone? It doesn't ring. It doesn't ring. So there's an opportunity for your staff to interact, create that personal relationship while a customer's being checked in, talk to them about the food and beverage options on property, where the driving range is, the conditions of the golf course. You can really create that personal interaction when you can turn that phone off. How often have you gone into a golf course and you're checking in and all you hear is the phone ring every 10, 15, 20 seconds and there's interruptions? That's not the experience we're looking for. So I think to develop the consistency of driving that experience, you really do need to create a culture of pushing uh, most of your traffic that's booked through your website, through your online portal. Well, number two is, well, why would folks book a tea time online? Well, they're only going to do that if there's great value online for them. 
so often I see a golf course where their best rate might be a walk-in rate or a call-in rate, and their rates online might be higher than those walk-in or call-in rates. Well, that really works against the ability to collect data at that point. So you need to figure out how can I give great value when folks are booking tee times online. And we do that through offering daily steals, which is some discounted pricing during times that make sense on our tee sheet offering instant rewards, and then using automated promo codes to invite customers back. But you have to give great value online. Obviously, you've heard me champion turning off third parties as a opportunity to drive your play and your traffic. We really want you to own those relationships through direct channels. And the way to do that is to give great value in a direct channel. Number three, well, once you've got them booking tea times online, you need to make sure you're automating uh, your process for collecting data. You know, you don't want to rely on any manual collection of data. You want to try to collect electronically as much data as you can about that customer, offering them chances to fill out surveys for additional value. You really want to learn about that customer, but you need to automate that process for collecting data. All right, number four, this one's important. Manual emails do not achieve the open rates that automated emails do, Jordan. So you need to build automated emails that focus on a couple of different items. What we focus on is experience, re-engagement, and loyalty. And what I mean by that is all the data we collect is funneled into a, a CRM tool, which is a customer relationship management tool. From there, we are able to reach down into the CRM tool and based off certain parameters of each customer profile, we can target market those customers. An example of an experience email might be if you booked a tea time and we sent you out an email before you showed up telling you exactly how to check in, what the food and beverage hours of operation are, when the range opens and closes, some information about the conditioning and just general information about the club. We're setting the tone of the experience for you, the customer. A re-engagement email would be, hey, you know, we haven't seen you book a tea time at our club in the last 30 days. We miss you. Here's a 15% automated promo code to use to book online. Come visit us again in the next 30 days. And a loyalty campaign might be, hey, Jordan, you've played five rounds at our golf course this year. We, we want to thank you for being a loyal customer. Here's a 20% off promo code that you can use on our booking engine. And all of these email campaigns that we build are automated. They're based off triggers that happen based when customer data hits a certain collection point as it relates to a customer's profile. We send the automated emails and the open rate on automated emails for us is about 50%, which is far ahead of what you see on manual emails in the industry, which is 18 to 24%. It's you also need, a lot easier than to have someone have to sit there and write emails all day long. Oh, much more efficient. You can streamline <laughs> without a doubt. All right, number five, you need to protect the placement of your golf course inventory. And what I mean by that is this is the conversation about third parties. We talk about collecting data. We talk about knowing your customer. If you allow a customer to book a tee time through a third party and they're collecting your data, you completely negate your ability to know who your customer is. All right, number six, you need to analyze your stats on the online highway. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, what are you seeing online? What are your booking engine stats? What are your website stats? What are your internet search stats? What are your marketing database stats? What emails have you sent? What are their open rates? What is the return potentially on the different areas of opportunities online? And we create a report at Golfback, which delivers all of this information, which helps you design your marketing programs based off what you're seeing, including information like how far out is your average booking window. So that gives you information on maybe when you're dynamic pricing tools should react or interact with the guest. There's so much information, but you need to understand the online highway. And the last one, number seven, you ready for this one, Jordan? You need to build your marketing programs to drive traffic online. 
Okay. So often we focus on newspaper ads, radio ads, billboards, you know, traditional marketing, traditional marketing, signage, commercials. The reality is most customers are online today. So we need to build marketing programs that really focus on driving customers who are online to an area of your business that they might have an interest in. So these are Facebook ads, these are search engine optimization tactics, and these are search engine marketing ads that we build out. Generally, we spend about a thousand to twelve hundred dollars per club on marketing programs associated uh, with driving traffic online. All seven of these areas will help you grow your golf community. Our golf back clients are growing their databases about three to 5% per month. So you can imagine a database of 10,000 at the beginning of the year is going to be a database of, you know, anywhere from 13 to 15 to 16,000 by the end of the year. You do that year after year, year after year, and you really will grow that golf community. So this is proven to be effective. Very effective. Every property that we've implemented. And if you think about it, it makes complete logical sense. When people want something from a golf course, they want to book a tee time. If you only let them book a tee time in a direct channel where you're collecting their data and then you're remarketing to that customer, you're in a much stronger position. And frankly, so is the customer to gain great value from you. So in broad strokes, just recap the seven again, then I want to, I want to ask you a follow-up. Okay. Broad strokes. Let's keep it short and sweet here. Build a culture of driving tee times online. Number two, give great value to customers in that online tea time portal. Automate the collection of customer data for number three. Automate your marketing campaigns and really focus on experience, re-engagement, and loyalty for number four. Protect the placement of your golf course inventory. Be careful of third-party channels. That's number five. Analyze your stats on the online highway. That's number six. And build marketing programs for driving traffic direct. That's number seven. A lot of this, I would argue, is to take care of all the business stuff so you can provide a great customer experience once they're on property. You've hit the nail on the head, Jordan. The more and more we've developed golf back and the more and more we've had conversations within Brown Golf, you know, we really want to take these business driving components out of the head golf professionals' hands and allow them to focus on the experience. So when you arrive on property, what kind of interaction are you having with your bag staff? What kind of greetings are you receiving when you come into the golf shop? Is there an opportunity to upsell if it makes sense for that golf course operator? Tell the customer about the opportunities at the property, whether it's food and beverage or whether it's practicing on the range or whether it's a clinic that's coming up or whether it's a great league. There's an opportunity for your staff to really interact with the guest. That's the goal of building your golf community through these strategies. Okay, John. So when it comes to introducing new golfers to the game, how does that factor into making them a part of an already pre-existing community? Well, we named the seven elements to grow your golf community and we did not include that component, right, Jordan? And frankly, that is one of the most important components out there. And actually, we've got a great guest who's coming on, Matt, with Operation 36, who's designed a program for exactly that. I think it's an innovative program. It's a way to get new golfers into the game. And that is absolutely a component of building your golf community. Today, for these seven, we really fo focused on the business elements. But Matt's going to deliver a great solution for how you can grow your golf community by introducing new golfers. So I'm excited to hear what Matt has to say. Welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. John, we are about to be joined by our guest at this time. His name is Matthew Reagan, co-founder at Operation 36 Golf. Now, in 2012, he graduated from Campbell University with a degree in business administration and management. He then went on to co-found Operation 36. 
Operation 36 is an effective developmental program and technology designed to introduce and progress beginners in playing the game of golf. It's very different than the traditional approach of beginners trudging around the practice ranges with no definitive plan. Of course, there is a lot more to it than that, and Mr. Reagan joins us today to tell the tale himself. Mr. Reagan, welcome to the Golf Exposed podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So in researching you and reading about you, you've been quoted as saying, beginners are set up for failure before they even start. The way golfers are introduced to the sport is fundamentally flawed. So in your opinion, what way is their introduction flawed and what pitfalls could that lead to? Yeah, I, I, I will actually start back at the, the beginning because I we didn't know this when we first started. It's not like we started with this approach and thinking that beginners were set up for failure before they start. It was more trial and error for multiple years, starting actually in 2010. I was fortunate enough to team up with Ryan Daly uh, at Campbell University while I was a student in school. And he was tasked with starting a junior golf program at the club. And it was at that time we were kind of turned on to the Titleist Performance Institute and looking at their youth development program. And uh, we really fell in love with this concept of, hey, why aren't kids coming to the course every week on a consistent basis and have like a clear developmental plan to take them from never playing to becoming a golfer? And we thought it'd be really easy if we could just if, hey, if we can get them coming every single week, that would be different than what the industry traditionally does, where you drop in for a camper clinic in the summer. So we, we kicked that off uh, at Keith Hills Golf Club at Campbell in 2011, I believe it was our first class, kind of ideated in 2010, and got three kids to sign up with that basic premise. Parents are asking, do we even have a curriculum when we're out here working with these kids? And we didn't at the time. We were trying to figure out how much do you teach versus test versus train their skills? And um, do you have to get them on video every single week? And there's all these things build up that kind of led to what Operation 36 is today. And that's where we came up with the Operation 36 format, which is a fun and motivating format, allows beginners to get around the course in the right amount of time. Um, it, I think a lot of people are familiar with it, but we start everyone close to the hole, 25 yards away. And we challenge you to shoot the score of par or the score of 36. Uh, for nine holes from there. And then when you shoot 36, we back you up to 50 yards. So it uh, kind of shrinks the game. We call it scaling by skill. And, uh, and that concept was came up with in 2015. And that's when we decided to rename the program to Operation 36. And we began licensing it to uh, golf professionals around the country. John, I'm, I'm looking at the Operation 36 website, a lot of innovative technology, which is something that you preach about all the time. So there's a lot of synergy here. How, how did you come across Operation 36? And how did you and Matt meet? Well, you know, I despise innovative people in golf, right, Jordan? <laughs> no, I love them. And, and I think I saw a video clip of what Matt's program was doing, Operation 36. And I said, this is a different approach. It's trackable. It's using technology. And I think it's a way to really advance golfers from, hey, I have no idea how to hold a golf club to, hey, I could shoot par on nine holes. And starting in 2015, that's really what set you in the trajectory you're on now, right, Matt, with the tech, how you've built the tech and really the full-scale program, correct? Yeah, because before that, we really had, we had like our curriculum were in booklets, which wasn't scalable. And, and if we were going to try, it was, it cost the parents lots of money to buy these kits. So we were trying to figure out, well, how could we make it more affordable and how could we scale this? And if we had to make a change, how could we change it everywhere? And that's where technology kind of entered the picture. We really wanted to find a way to lean into technology because we knew that was important to, and we also saw the experience 
and the uh, communication and automation that we could create to try to drive you know, those healthy, good feelings and show that someone's improving over time. So this question is kind of for both of you then, even with these advances in technology, which are, are very exciting to someone like myself from the outside looking in, golf is still viewed primarily as a traditional game with a rich history, certainly those who play it and certainly those who are you know, in control or in power at the courses. So how do you go about approaching a facility or a, a course owner operator and convincing them to be a partner with Operation 36 or a golf back and prove to them that it's in the best interest to help them grow in the future? Matt, I can comment just from seeing what you guys have produced. When you say that gamification, I think that's the real difference maker for Operation 36. It actually gives uh, students the ability to really track what they're doing, what they're achieving, what they're shooting, where they might need to improve on things and really deliver that sort of that gamification experience to the student. Now, from an instructor standpoint, what I saw with Matt's product is it's built in a way which makes it uh, very easy for an instructor to build a successful program long term. It's like we're trying to build technology that makes someone feel good about their experience at the golf course. Right. And that's really what when you hear someone say that, um, you know, whether it's a, a point popping up here or there, or just something that's encouraging them, or they're able to see friends in the app a little bit, or get a golf clap from a coach, or the coach can comment on it, like all that stuff is motivating. And that's really, that's the lens we look at the product through. Um, and then just trying to make it look like, you know, it is a win-win-win for the, the golf pro, the golf student, right? The students that are out there, and then also the golf facility, because, you know, we don't we don't actually create a golf customer for the golf facility through instruction programs until they get comfortable paying for a round of golf or paying for a membership. And John, I'm sure you you could probably go at length on this about, you know, if someone's not playing golf, it's probably a pretty good indicator that they're they're not going to they're probably on their way out. If a golf facility wanted to know, well, why is Op 36 going to be good for my club? You know, well, one, we know that there's a lot of beginners who came to the game that we have this opportunity to connect them. And if they are out on your golf course playing and they don't know how to play it properly, they're going to hold up play and create a lot of issues for your staff. And two, if we can provide a better way to bring them in, we're going to create a paying customer that's going to be there long-term. And that's really what we're trying to do. Well, this is a very neat product that I think everybody should check out from a standpoint of just how would I bring on uh, new golfers to my golf course and do it in a unique, innovative way without a doubt. But we like to talk about business, big business. And all of a sudden you've stepped into another realm of business for Operation 36. Obviously the company started back in 2010, but there was some exciting news that just came out. Ryan and I are excited to announce that as of actually February 1st, it was our uh, official date. We are now um, merged with Golf Genius Software. So we've, we've been working with Mike Sisman and Chris Kallmeyer at, uh, at their company, uh, the two co-CEOs and the co-founder, and uh, met up with them last year. And the synergy between their company and ours was really just uncanny the more we talked to them. And we, we approached them with a little help on technology, and then it just led to more discussions about where we're headed, where they're headed. Um, and it's, it's really exciting. So we were tapping in essentially into a uh, a company that believes in helping and serving golf professionals, which is hard to find. Um, but also, you know, they, they really went from, uh, I probably anyone listening knows golf genius is the tournament management software for golf professionals. Right. And as they've really zeroed in on that and developed all these relationships with 10,000 facilities, they, 
they've been listening to the needs of the golf professional and, and they're really evolving into the software company that serves uh, uh, golf professionals. And so they're, they have their TM product uh, that 10,000 facilities use or golf associations. And, and then they launched a golf shop to help manage special orders for the golf shop and demo clubs instead of putting it down in a three ring binder. And that honestly just stemmed from listening to the needs of the customers, um, their customers and serving the pro. And, and then their next area that they're getting into is uh, coaching, which if you think about it, those are the three cores that a golf professional does. They're running tournaments and leagues. They're managing the golf shop. And they are, uh, you know, they're coaching the way that uh, Chris and Mike see us is, you know, go op 36 is this top of the funnel uh, of getting people into the game. And then they're going to evolve to a place where, you know, private lessons and a little bit more individualized instruction is, is important. And uh, they're going to be building a product for that, that I think launches this year called uh, golf genius coach. You know, we're on this war path to try to introduce a million new golfers to the game and get them to play their first nine holes and experience success. I think there's great synergy there between what Golf Genius does and, and what you guys can bring to the table. I'm excited to see how this all you know, matures as you guys begin to work together more closely. Where you're really focused on, Matt, is you want to introduce people to the game. You want to do it in a fun, unique, innovative way. The way you're doing it is just, it's it's refreshing. It's a breath of fresh air. And at this point, how many clients are you working with? How many courses? We have just, uh, we have around 615 golf facilities. Uh, last year, we had 26,000 new participants come in through the, we had around 520 facilities last year. And, um, and, and this year, the growth has been, really neat because it's somewhat organic. You know, it's the pros pushing it out. We don't have a huge, large marketing budget to be going out there and sharing the program worldwide through uh, national media. But uh, as we are continuing to grow, that's something, you know, that's that's in our roadmap. We want, we want folks to hear of Op36 programs, find their local location and use technology to connect them and, and drive growth at clubs. So, um, yeah, it's been great. And we're looking forward to the growth. I mean, we started with... Uh, just juniors, as, as most know, that was where we started. But uh, last year, 40% of our new participants were adults. And out of those 40%, 80% were ladies. Matt, I'm very excited for the acquisition. I'm excited about all this technology, guys. But I have to ask, I just got a company invite to the Brown Golf outing. And all the every company member is going to be there. And uh, I'm a full-grown man. I know you can help juniors and kids. Um, but I suck. Don't tell John. <laughs> So can Operation 36 help me? Uh, am, I, am I out of luck? I mean, what, what should I do here? Paint me a picture. Should I log on to operation36.golf? Should I download an app? How can I get started if I'm an adult and I'm just not good and I need to get good quickly? Yeah, no, it's a great question. The, it, the best way to get started would be visiting our website, finding your local location, filling out the form and, and getting co in contact with the coach that's running a program there. They are, you know, not only are the coaches that they're not running like an in-season off 36 program, you know, they're typically running private coaching programs or other ones throughout the year. Um, so you can get plugged in there, but all, you know, if you're not comfortable playing, that's, that's really what we're going to help with and get you into a fun class once a week uh, with a group of other uh, guys that uh, have similar skill level or working on similar things and it's led by a coach. So you'll, you'll pick up a lot of things fast in a group setting that 
in a private setting, it's nice. You feel like you're comfortable, but at the same time, that group setting, what you want to get uh, connected with is a group of folks that will go out and play outside of the classes. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Matt. We got three rapid fire questions for you to finish this off. Are you ready for them? I, I hope so. Well, you're down in the Carolinas there. So the big question is Duke or North Carolina college basketball, or are you like a weirdo who likes NC State? <laughs> I'm kind of the weirdo here. My, my uh, wife's whole family went to NC State, and I'm originally from upstate New York. So I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to go with NC State. I'm going to be that weirdo. But I, I did go to Going to a Duke basketball game is unbelievable. I've been to one; it's incredible. So I, I did not know your wife's family was connected to NC State. So I, <laughs> I, I that's just a random, <laughs> random luck there. All right. Well, let, question two. I'm about a four and a half handicap now. Played Division two college golf. Been sliding as I get older. You and I go out and play golf. Who's winning, me or you? If you're if you're there, it's probably if you catch me. I can catch lightning in a jar every now and then. But right now, with uh, two kids at home and uh, managing Operation Thirty Six right now, you would you would probably beat the socks off of me. But then yeah, again, well, I don't do too much here at Brown Golf. I keep my feet up, play golf every day. So <laughs> I know that's the that's the old adage, you know. So I'm sure I'm sure that's what you do. <laughs> All right, last one. You got this great new partnership with Golf Genius. You're at 600 plus clubs right now. Where do you want to be a year from now? Where do you want to be ten years from now? Is with the number of clubs you're working with. Yeah, obviously consistent growth where, you know, we, we like to see growth this year, uh, aiming to get over 700 clubs just to get us tracking in a good direction. And then looking forward into how do we, uh, how do we limit friction for a club to get started? And uh, so with Golf Genius, we have lots of strategies cooking on how we could do that and make it a win-win-win across the board. Because like, in our eyes, we, we believe every facility should have this and every pro should have this in their toolbox to run a really successful program to drive revenue for their salary, but also to the club. And it's time to get that paper. Get, 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 get that paper. And just do a better job introducing folks to the game and raise the level of experience so we can compete with those other sports that are raising their experience all the while. So. Uh, we'd love to see over a thousand into 2000 clubs if we can get there over the course of the years. But main thing is, is looking at participants and how we can get to that million golfers goal. And we've got 75,000 participants that have been in so far as of this date. So uh, we'll see where we are a few years from now and we'll have to resurface this and jump back on your podcast and share an update. If you get to a million new golfers, we're going to have to have a big party for you, maybe down at the PGA show or somewhere else, because that's good for the industry. So we appreciate the work you're doing. Exciting times for you guys, Matt. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks, John. We appreciate having me on.